Excellent. So welcome to this week's Leaders on a Mission, where I speak with inspiring leaders, leveraging science and technology to create a better world for future generations. And in today's episode, I'm joined by Alan Hahn, CEO of Mycotechnology, a food technology company with a mission to create a healthier world. Now, Alan's a serial entrepreneur, having co-founded four businesses with three successful exits, and totaling around $2 billion. And I remember exactly when I first came across Alan at home one evening on the sofa, watching a BBC program about the future of food. And there you were, Alan, popped up on the the picture, talking about some of your groundbreaking products and uh, around the mycelium technology platform. And I cold called you the the next day, I remember that. And uh, and we had a nice chat and I told you I saw you. And uh, so it's great to have you on the show. Thanks. Thanks so much for joining me today. Simon, thanks for having me. Very excited to be here. Excellent. Excellent. Now, tell me, maybe I'll take it all the way back, you know, just yeah. you know, to the early days, as it were. Just thinking you're growing up, what, what were the major kind of influences that really kind of helped shape, you know, your ideas and kind of aspirations as, as you were growing up? So I'm thinking well, a teenager, I, I, teenager type of... Uh, yeah, well, I, you know, the big influence for me was my dad. My dad was a, uh, a chemist went to Brown University, graduated first in his class. So we had labs in our house as far back as I can remember, experimenting with all these different compounds and chemicals and creating little explosions and smoke and stink bombs. And, you know, uh, it, it it was a lot of fun as a kid getting to learn chemistry with your bare hands and with my dad guiding me through that. Uh, and particularly what I remember also, he, he was a, uh, he focused on colors. So pigments and stuff for the textile industry. So I had the best colors ever. So in the seventies, uh, as a teenager, I got to make tie dyed clothes that were the best in the neighborhood. So, uh, we'd get a lot of white t-shirts and then use all these dyes to make really cool t-shirts. I remember tie-dye days. And, and I hadn't even thought about that because that was actually my first business because I was going to talk about my other first business. But really, really, that was the very first thing I ever start, have ever sold was tie-dyed shirts. Wonderful. That, no, that, that's hilarious. I had forgotten all about that. Really, really. How many of those did you sell? I mean, was it a viable business or was this just, uh, you know, a school in the, uh, in the backyard? Well, when you're 13, it's pretty viable. You yeah. know, it, it it didn't take a lot. So I had, I generated a good amount of money where I had yeah. money in my pocket all the time. So, you know, I could go out and get a pizza anytime I wanted. Got it. No. So the entrepreneurial kind of drive was there from a young age, it sounds like. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Did you never, with that chemistry and seeing your dad, um, so your dad majored in, in chemistry. What, what did he do for a career? Um, he was a- so he, he entered the textile industry. And back in those days, you'd be surprised how they made colors for clothing. So you would actually take these dry dyes and you'd blend them together. And let's say you wanted to create a shirt with the color blue that I'm wearing and you want to make 10,000 of these. Okay, how do you do it? So you pull out your slide rule. And he actually taught me how to use a slide rule. So you do your math there and figure out how much dye you need 
and of what blends to get whatever shade of color you want. And then you send that order to the factory. They blend it that way. They take the material that you're going to color and they put another material behind it called back ray and they spray this color on and the back ray would absorb the excess color. And then you create shirts. So, but he, he loved to do math in his head, loved, I mean, we would go on long trips down to Florida and we would have to solve uh, all kinds of equations with slide rules and rulers and, and for, you know, hours and hours at a time on, on family trips. Right. That sounds great. So were, were there ever thoughts about you um, majoring or, or becoming a chemist? Yeah, I, I really thought I was going to go into science. Unfortunately, I lost my dad uh, when I was 16. He died in an accident. And uh, so when I I kind of grew up in about 24 hours after that, you know, realized, you know, hey, I need to figure all this out. And, you know, when I got to college, I was paid for it myself and I had to make a decision. Do I go into the science side? Or do I go into the business side? And I go, I think I can make more money on business. So I went on to the business side. But I've always had a passion for science. And now in, at uh, Microtechnology, I get to do both. So uh, I, I love it. And I can embrace my geeky science side. Excellent. I think that's great. And uh, so when you started your career, you know, when you, um, well, you know, what were your dreams and goals are you, uh, as you were kind of setting out in your career? Well, it's it's really interesting because it kind of changed and pivoted for me. Uh, I was um, diagnosed as a type two diabetic, and uh, I was really surprised by it. I had no idea. You a lot of times you don't have any symptoms on this, and when the doctor told me, I was shocked. So I uh, I went and took some classes on nutrition, and I really started thinking about how do you learn about nutrition, and you learn it through friends and family who I don't think know, have any clue that they really understand food and nutrition and, and overall health. And uh, I, I realized what I was doing wrong. I changed my lifestyle. So I lost 30 pounds. I got off all the medication that the doctor was giving me. The doctors are really willing to allow you to be fat and unhealthy and just sell you pills uh, to keep you alive. Uh, but uh, I, I wasn't going to have that if I could change it. So I, you know, changed my exercise habits, got off every bit of that medication. And now I have my A1C at 5.2, which is right in line with normal uh, A1C. So that's a measure of uh, sugar in the bloodstream. So, you know, you can make a difference. You know, these chronic diseases don't have to uh, impact you the way they can. You can actually make a change. When was this? When, when was that diagnosis? That diagnosis, so I started the company, twin, so about 2010. Was it? Okay, wow, wow. And, yeah. and the cause of, you know, you, you said you lost 30 pounds in weight. What was your diet like at that time? I mean, what was it? Well, uh, I thought sugar was an important food group. Hmm. I would prefer to eat something sugary than something savory. Um, you know, so I I was totally out of whack in that kind of stuff. But, you know, I ate a lot of meat. I ate a lot of sugar, uh, a lot of sugary beverages. You know, that's really what really gets you. And I ate very little vegetables. And now if you looked at my diet, 
I eat very little meat, uh, you know, much smaller portions. I mean, if you look at my plate before, you'd see two, two or three sides of meat and a small portion of a starchy vegetable like corn or peas or something or a potato, you know, and now you'll see all kinds of green leafy uh, vegetables, probably three to five different leafy vegetables blended together every day. Uh, you know, uh, protein from animal based is a fraction of what I was eating before and protein from plant based is much greater proportion of my diet. Now I'm not a vegetarian or a vegan, I'm a flexitarian, but I, I really try to balance and put things in moderation and, um, you know, and I've really come to enjoy this diet. You f- I feel so much better. Because now I understand when I get too much sugar in my 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 system, my uh, 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 body just feels uh, out of whack. So when I have too much sugar, you know, it it feels like I'm being highly stimulated everywhere, and it's like ah, you know, you you, you know that it's too high of sugar level in your bloodstream. Like I could not eat Halloween candy. That just, right. That's yeah. not going to happen. Yeah. Do you know what the funny thing is? I mean, I, I didn't know you back in 2010, but I remember we were chatting a few weeks ago and we were, we were talking about some of the outdoor pursuits and being in the desert and climbing. And I just had this, you know, this picture and vision of you. Like literally, I know you and your wife both are really into it. I, I can't imagine you. 30 pound heavier and uh, I can't imagine me either 30 pounds heavier because I you know here's how my my life went from a health point of view so in high school you had to pass a health test and it was like John F Kennedy you know uh, health challenge or whatever it was called back then and you had to do push-ups and sit-ups and jumping jacks and run a mile and I couldn't run the mile in the time that they had. And I went, wait a minute, this isn't good. So I went in my neighborhood and I measured out a quarter mile on the road. And I started running a quarter mile. And then I measured out three miles. And then I measured out five miles. And in a couple of months, I was running five miles. So my senior year in high school, so that was my junior year. My senior year in high school, I was running five miles, five days a week at 5 a.m. before school, you know, a lot of times in the dark. And uh, so and I would run. I was I lived in Nashville and I would run through Percy Warner Park and uh, I would do that every day. Before, and I got really addicted to running and I got down to like a 28 inch waist. Uh, you know, I, 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 I weighed I can't even remember what I weighed, not. It's so low, I can't even remember. And uh, it, it, it was uh, a real change for me to, to feel that healthy, feel that powerful. And then, of course, you go, I did that through college and through my early uh, career, uh, business career. And then I started to really get some ankle and knee pains uh, from hitting the pavement too much. And so I had to back off on that and get to treadmills and then ellipticals. And, you know, so, you know, lower impact things. So, you know, my ability to keep my weight off changed because I was burning so much energy, but I kept eating at the same level. And that's why I gained the weight I did 
and then I had to rethink everything and, you know, and uh, get it back in order. Cause you, you know, you can't, at least I can't physically keep up that same level of workout that I used to do. And which yeah. would, that would take care. I mean, and back then I would go hiking in the smoky mountains. I mean, I'd have a 50, 60 pound backpack on my future wife and I would hike off through the Smokies. I've stated it. I camped at every campsite in the Smoky Mountains, uh, you know, uh, scuba dive for 20 years around the world. You know, so, you know, did a lot of healthy stuff to you, to you get too fat. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we, we will come on to microtechnology in, in uh, um, you know, shortly. Um, but I'm thinking you had a very successful career leading you know, before microtechnology. I don't actually speak to that many people, actually, as CEOs of food or ag or life science companies that come at it from a completely different industry uh, or come into the food industry from outside, uh, like you have. And, you know, right, I mean, three successful exits. Um, What was the secret? What's the secret to... The success of, you know, when you look back and you look at all the experiences and all the successes, you know, are there any kind of key kind of parallels that you can kind of take from the experiences that you bring with you? Yeah, there is a, uh, something I've learned from all of the companies that I've, I've uh, either started or co-founded or was an employee of. The key is a sales tool. And this may sound a little strange, but there's always a, an inflection point in all of these companies that figures out how to get a customer to buy your product. That you you launch a new product that maybe has never been out there before. You start getting experience with customers. You start getting feedback, and you make your first sale. And you go, oh, that was interesting. But it took a long time, and you're and you're dealing basically with bare hands. You don't have any sales tools yet, because you're you're discovering that. And so, what what you learn from that first encounter, you try to apply to your next one, and then you know as you start having more success selling, you start to see patterns. And what what you really look for is in a sales cycle no matter what industry you're in, there's typically six or eight, maybe 10 step stages that you go through in a sales cycle from confirming they're a prospect to either close one or close lost, okay? And so when when you go through that process and you look at it, you go, okay, I'm in stage two. What do I need to do to get them to stage three? And when I'm in three, how do I get them to stage four? And what you'll find at some point, you'll find that there is a tool that compresses the sales cycle and increases your percentage of win. Because what you've done is you've found what they need, your customer needs, to get it approved internally. Because they want to solve their problems. You know, if you're a salesperson working with a customer and they're engaged with you, they're engaged with you because they have a challenge, uh, you know, strategic initiative that they're working on that they need to get solved and they think you can help them solve it. So the quicker you can prove it to them and take that tool internally to go, look, 
I can solve our problem with this sign here and we can have it done and I'll start implementing it. And once you figure that tool out, that's the inflection point in every company. I don't care if you're in software, uh, cybersecurity, food, it doesn't matter. Oil industry, it doesn't matter at all. But there is that point where your customer uh, act, your customer interaction changes when you have the right tool. Mm. I'll give you the first example, how I, the first one I saw this. So I, I uh, part of a startup, I was uh, the fourth person in the, in the startup, my very first one, this is 1986. So way back machine. And um, company was um, uh, Shared Technologies Fairchild. So we did uh, high rise buildings. We put phone systems in, wiring systems. Later on, we put data systems in and we sold to the tenants that moved into the building our service, which included a phone, local service, long distance, 800 numbers, calling cards, all of that kind of stuff, all in, all in a package. And so when I first started interacting with customers, a really hard sale because you're competing against somebody who's selling you a new piece of equipment that has the latest technology we had a bigger system that was always behind in a software update. You couldn't get it updated as fast as the new stuff coming out. So you're, you're, you become a feature war, which you can't win. So I said, okay, I can't win the feature war. How do I change this? So I turned it into a financial sale. So I created, used a spreadsheet, which was Lotus one, two, three, which by the way, was a great product back then. And, uh, and put created a five-year analysis. Here's my cost over five years. Here's what I believe your cost is over five years. Here's how much I sell save you per year. And here's how much I save you per month. And um, and so when you when you do it that way, what is the key is when they take that spreadsheet and they go, oh, well, this number is wrong and that number is wrong. I go, great, let me update it put their number now it's not my numbers anymore it's their numbers and and i had an 84% closing ratio from a 10% closing ratio to about an 84% wow That's, by I'm, having the right sales tool yeah <clears throat> and i never competed on 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 functionality technology ever again from that and that was that was 12 years took it from zero revenue to 200 million a year in revenue Great. Okay. No, thank you for that. Okay. So having the right kind of sales process and having the right sales tools for this kind of inflection point, which you need to get to as a company as you scale, essentially. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Great. Great, great, great. So tell me, um, you told me the story before about, um, you know, with the, with the diabetes and when you were diagnosed and, uh, um, how did that kind of lead you, that, that kind of experience lead you to getting involved with microtechnology? Yeah, and, and it, was an, it was a pivotal point for me. So when I was diagnosed that day at the doctor's office, the doctor had a closing comment for me. And he said, Alan, here's how you're going to live your life. If it tastes good, don't eat it. If it tastes bad, eat it. Have a good life. And I was like, <laughs> ugh. That sounds horrible. And so 
three years go by, I've lost this weight. I've changed my diet and exercise. And, and I get a call from a buddy of mine that we had done two other high tech companies with. And he goes, Hey, can you come to Denver and look at this company that my nephew's a scientist? He's met another scientist. I'm thinking on investing. They're going to form a company. Will you come to Denver and see what you think of this? Am I crazy to invest in this? And I said, great. I said, what kind of high tech company is it? And he goes, it's a mushroom technology company. And of course I laughed. I said, no, 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 really? What kind of company is it? And he goes, no, it's a mushroom technology company. And I go, okay, I have to go look at this. So I go to Denver, meet the scientists. They serve me a meal, best vegetarian, vegan meal I've ever eaten in my life. It was out of control good. And I looked at what the ingredients were and I'm going, this should not taste good. You know, these ingredients I've had before, or most of them, but not, not that have ever been fermented like they did with uh, mushrooms. And so it changed the taste dramatically. So I'm going, well, wait a minute. Maybe this is a sugar reduction opportunity that you can now have better for you food without having the nasty taste that I associated with those types of foods. And so I was hooked immediately. And I went home and told my wife, you know, I had a choice. I was starting this new cybersecurity company designed to protect uh, utilities from cyber intrusion, or I was going to do mushroom technology company. And my wife, oh, I know you're going to do the cybersecurity. And I go, no, I'm doing the mushroom stuff. And she thought I was nuts. And now she's uh, totally on board. Amazing. No, amazing. And tell me a little bit, therefore, about the, the mission, uh, you know, the you know, the real kind of mission and the impact on a healthier world. So, yeah, and, and it's a good point because it we really have three pillars, three main pillars. One is about sugar reduction, obviously, from, from my views of um, being a diabetic. Um, second is alternative protein. So how do we feed an exponentially growing planet? And then uh, third is about nutritional shortfalls. Um, and what's shocking to me are the numbers associated with nutritional shortfall. So in the U.S., I know you're in the U.K., but in the U.S., uh, the numbers are pretty staggering. Only 12% of the population gets the proper, gets proper nutrition on a daily basis. 12%. That's hardly anybody. And, and it's because we eat a bunch of fast food. And fast food is loaded with sugar, salt, and fat. And so you're, you're, you're devoid of really good vitamins and minerals that you need uh, to have a healthy body. The other area that kind of underlies all of this is how do we leverage food waste streams? So when food companies make food products, there's usually some kind of waste stream that has a lot of nutrients in it but it has a concentration of flavors and aromas that aren't pleasant, so they get thrown out. And so we're working on how do we incorporate that into our fermentation process to be growth media for the fungi, uh, the mushrooms, and in order to lower the cost and, and reintroduce these lost um, food streams uh, back into the, into the system. 
Okay, no, great. I mean, it sounds... And, and just what, while we're on the subject, for, for those yeah. who don't understand fermentation, maybe just outline what is, you know, we talk about mushroom technology, just at a high level, how that process works, for instance, how, you know, what you start up with and then what you end up with, for instance. It's a, it's a good question. So fermentation's been around forever. And it was originally came to be for, as a way to preserve food and, and beverages. So wine is fermented, beer is fermented, cheeses are fermented. You know, you start thinking about what's fermented. There's so much. There's a huge percentage. I think it's uh, 70% of all food is derived from some form of fermentation. But the art of fermentation kind of went away or the innovation part of fermentation went away with the advent of refrigeration because you didn't need to preserve it anymore. So it kind of went in this no man's land of no new innovative products in fermentation. And when you look at how fermentation is done, it's done with very simple organisms like yeast or bacterium, uh, very, very simple, easy to use um, organisms. Our approach leverages that fermentation, but with a very complex organisms, the root system of mushrooms called the mycelia. So that's basically filamentous fungi is kind of the, the term for it. And so what we've pioneered is submerged culture fermentation. So we've created a food processing platform and probably the best way to describe how it works is tell you how one of our products are made. So if you look at our pure taste protein, it is a blend of pea protein and rice protein. Well, why pea and rice? Well, one, they're readily available uh, protein products. And if you combine them together in the right ratio, you have a complete protein. So what is a complete protein? Well, there are 20 amino acids. Your body produces 11 of them. Nine of them you have to consume. And those nine are called the nine essential amino acids. And so you have to have them in the right ratio in order to have a complete protein. So if you blend pea and rice together, it makes a complete protein. So then if you're a food company and you're going to make a food product, let's say you're gonna make, Simon, you're gonna make a burger out of this. How do you do it? Well, you first taste it, it tastes horrible and it's got a horrible aroma. And so what you do is you add what's called masking agents to cover up the bad taste. You can't do much about the aroma. So you add sugar, salt, and fats to levels that mask that flavor, okay? So you end up with a product that is not better for you and has a lot of ingredients. And, you know, you, you look at most of those burgers are 18 to 26 ingredients to make it. So now let's look at our technology. We take that same blend of pea and rice. We put it in a fermenter with shiitake uh, mycelia, the roots of the mushroom. We let it ferment and then it transforms during that fermentation period. So it removes first the aroma and how does it do that? So fermentation is like a form of digestion. So it starts breaking bonds and the first thing to go are the volatiles. And so that's all the aromas. So you get this nice clean kind of cereal aroma when it's done versus an astringent beanie uh, aroma when it first starts. Then what happens is the water holding capacity goes way up. 
So now it, it, it can hold a lot more of its weight in water, which helps you in cost and use and a juicier product. Peas have a natural anti-nutrient in it called phytic acid, which prevents your body from absorbing things like um, iron. So we ferment that away. Uh, and also by loosening those bonds, you can get to more of the amino acids. So it's a 15 or 20% improvement in your body's ability to absorb amino acids. So it's really interesting what happens during this fermentation process. And there's a lot more, but that kind of gives you an idea. And then when it finishes fermenting, we take all the water out, dry it as a powder, and we sell it as a powder form. We also then take that powder and, and run it through an extruder so you can make texturized meats out of it, uh, plant-based meats. And then we also do a milling, a wet milling process to make it appropriate for dairy analogs like uh, alternate milks and cheeses and so forth. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. And um, sounds very complicated. It's really not. I mean, think about, compare it to brewing beer. What do you got? You got hops, barley, water, yeast, roughly, is what you have for, for beer and you go into a big fermenter. We've got water, uh, shiitake, mycelia instead of yeast, and we've got pea and rice. And then you ferment it. And then for beer, you, you filter out all the solid material and you get a golden liquid and you bottle it. We keep everything together. That flows out. We take all the water out of it and we dry it as a powder. So we're, we're a microbrewery, just the biggest one of its kind in the world. Yeah, yeah. And how big is, how big is say, your ability to be able to produce you know, these products at the moment? So our facility is about 86,000 square feet. Uh, it's been open for almost two years. January, the end of January would be two years. Um, we have uh, can produce about 4,000 metric tons uh, a year. Uh, currently, the ability to double in place, which we hope to start putting our plans together for next year uh, to, to double our capacity. Uh, and it's got a state-of-the-art R&D center, customer experience center, uh, you know, just uh, an amazing uh, group of people that are focused on making the world healthier and providing highly sustainable forms of food. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. You must get a lot of energy from the mission, especially oh, through fantastic. the journey. Yeah, the, the, I, I wake up every day early, ready to go, jumping out of bed. I love what I do. It's it's a passion. You know, how many people can say that, you know, what you get to do every day for a living can impact people globally in a positive way from a health and nutrition point of view? And that's what I get to do. So uh, I get to work with some of the biggest companies in the in the food space, get to deal with uh, consumers. And, and and really and investors in the space and it's just amazing uh the opportunity that's in front of us to provide better for you products without having people change their lifestyle you know compromising on taste and, and really delivering real nutrition you know how wonderful would it be if if you were to indulge in say chocolate that has 50% of the sugar that it used to have, and you prefer it more than the sugar of this fully sugared product 
that's been out there. How great is that? And that's what we're doing right now. That product will be launching soon. Yeah, it sounds it sounds great. It sounds like we're going to have a lot more kind of healthy choices when it comes to um, when it comes to the food choices you know, that we're able to make in the next few years. Most definitely. And, and I think the key to it is not changing people's behavior. If you really want to have an impact, you have to get your ingredients into food forms that they're already eating. If I'm eating a burger, you know, I need to make the, the bun a healthier bun by putting uh, proper nutritional ingredients in the bun that don't change the taste. Having the meat, having the meat that is, you know, plant-based, that is low in, in uh, calories, lower in saturated fat, lower in, in salt, and I do all that without compromising on taste. The ketchup, you know, take take the sugar and salt out of the ketchup. You know, yeah. we have ingredients to do that. And so you look at it this way, it's like, don't change my behavior, just change what's available to me so I can eat it in the food form I'm used to eating it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It sounds like nutrition and taste is the holy grail, essentially. Those two together. And taste is king. Everything else follows, you know. So you got to have the right taste. And, yeah. you know, and we've, and we've, we're really increasing the bar because we've got great taste. You know, we've got great aroma. So we've got that part. And the competition is trying to get to that level. And they're, and they're doing pretty good on it. But now we're at the, okay, so you got that. Assume that now we've got better nutrition. We have, you know, better absorption of the amino acids. We have uh, the anti-nutrients removed. You know, it goes on and on. You know, we now are uh, just completed a study on the absorption of amino acids into the blood. And so first time a plant-based protein has beat whey protein for absorption. Yeah. That's that's really huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. No, very exciting. Um. So tell me, interested to get your view, seven years with Myco Technology. Um, Almost eight. So March will be eight years oh, next March. Yeah. Yeah, eight years. I'm wondering, what are what are the main differences for you in terms of, I'm thinking about adapting specifically to the food industry as well. You know, coming and, you know, um, founding and being part of Myco Technology on the early journey. How, how does it compare differently to, so how is it compared to some of the other experiences and companies that you led? Well, I, I think I've discovered my true passion. I've always enjoyed the, the science and the technology of uh, Silicon Valley and high tech software, uh, cybersecurity, all that kind of, that was, that was always fun for me and, and mentally uh, interesting. Uh, but food is, is really a passion for me particularly having my issues with type two, <clears throat> how to overcome that and, and how to have a global impact. And I just can't tell you how excited I am to be able to help companies create products with half the amount of sugar, half the amount of salt, uh, you know, better for you products and impact people's lives everywhere. I don't know that it gets any better than that. Yeah, no, that's great. That is great. And um, and tell me what, I mean, when you think about the future, the plans now for the business or you know, where would you see 
you know, the business in five years' time? And, uh, and uh, you know, where, where do you think you could take this to? Well, I think we'll be a public company. Uh, the goal is the end of 2022 to go public. So uh, depending on our revenue stream and how the markets are behaving at that point in time, we'll take a look at it. But um, I see us as a global uh, company. We're already selling globally in the in the Americas, in Europe, in Asia. <clears throat> and it's really starting to take off. So it's... Um, I, I see us as a company that's a, addressing all of those pillars that I described, the sugar reduction, alternate protein, and nutritional shortfall. So I see us with uh, plants around the world uh, addressing these issues. That's great. That's great. And um, and congratulations as well. I, I saw that you've recently been nominated or you won the um, the Radical uh, Award. Yeah, the Radical uh, Growth Protein Award uh, that was sponsored by um, uh, Sagenta. Super excited. So it was announced yesterday. Um, we, uh, we were part of 150 companies that applied. We were chosen as one of the final four finalists and then went through a very intense due diligence process uh, and were awarded by the judges yesterday the million-dollar prize uh, for the, uh, the best alternate protein uh, approach globally. And so they agree with us that our plans for how do you feed an exponentially growing planet uh, is through mushroom fermentation. Wow. Uh, congratulations. Um, let's just say the alternative protein space has a few competitors or a few different technologies and options around. So to come out top of the tree there is uh, is no mean feat. No, and there was there was a lot of great protein alternatives out there. <laughs> Everything from cellular to aqua farming to um, um, insects to e you name it. Uh, there were every different way you can think about it, uh, and there's some really <clears throat> interesting technologies. But I think when the judges looked at it, we have uh, a technology that's available now, uh, is price competitive. We can build these plants around the world and we can address this problem starting now. And, and you know, really the goal is to look at countries that are concerned about food security. How do they make sure that they produce enough food for their population? And we can do that today. So, you know, if we build a facility there, uh, we can create a whole jobs program for their population, uh, produce enough food to feed their country, as well as become a food exporter if they so choose. And usually we can use feedstock that they have available in their country. So things like sugars and, and other waste streams that can be uh, incorporated into a feedstock for converting sugar to protein. So you've got the whole circular kind of, uh, um, the circular economy going on here as well, in terms of the use of the waste streams. It sounds, uh, it sounds very clever and it sounds like such a novel, novel mission. It really does. Yeah. And it's, um, and, and it's one that we don't have to wait five or 10 or 15 years for it to mature, it, it can, it can be, and it, it is in place. We have this in our facility in Denver, 
but I think it's really ready to scale. Um, and, you know, we, we have it at full production, you know, size and producing product and selling product and customers using it. And so uh, it's definitely ready for its next leap. Excellent. Okay, that sounds great. And the uh, final question, I, I speak to a lot of budding kind of CEOs, entrepreneurial, first-time CEOs as well, a lot of young CEOs um, uh, as well. Three, three bits of advice that you would offer any young CEO with aspirations of a successful exit somewhere down the line. First of all, however much money you think you need, you need twice that amount. So make sure you, you raise a proper amount of money. Second, it's your team. It's not your company. It's not your product. It's your team that people invest in. So if you're going out to raise money to build your company, you got to have the right team member. So it's very, very important. And thirdly, who you get money from really matters. They can destroy your company with the wrong personality. They don't fit where you're thinking. You 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 really got to this when you're looking for money to make sure you can live with the personality on the other side of the table. And you know those are kind of my three kind of rules of thumb to to go with. I've raised um, 130 million plus dollars for microtechnology over these years. Uh, And I've got a great team of investors, uh, very supportive. And, you know, it's the A team of investors and it's it's really fantastic and it makes a difference. It makes a difference because they support you and, and help you with uh, growing. And, and really what you want is introductions at the highest levels in organizations in order to get your product sold. Got it. That's great. Alan, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Thanks so much for coming on. It's been, it's been a real good experience. Simon, thanks for having me. It was, it was a pleasure. Excellent. Excellent.